It's noon where I am, the only time zone that matters. That's Omaha, Nebraska. I guess that makes it like central time or something, which would make sense because if you look at a map, Dan, Nebraska is smack dab in the middle of the country. I'm Guy Adami. That's Dan Nathan. In just literally minutes, EY from SoFi will be joining us. Of course, today is Thursday, which means it's Butters. It's May 4th, ET Day for those that celebrate and enjoy Investor Drew Barrymore. Today's uh, market call brought to you by FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider. And of course, SoFi Dan, get your money right, all in one app. Uh, I flew into Omaha last night via Chicago, Illinois, and here I am. You know, did you make your five o'clock dinner with Mr. Munger and, and Mr. Buffett? Because I know yeah, they, they had, had it later for me. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, typically, obviously, they started like 415. They yeah. pushed it back to accommodate me. By the way, speaking of pushing things back, Dan, nice job by you. We will be pushing back the on the tape podcast tomorrow. You typically get it first thing in the morning. We are actually going to do it tomorrow morning because we're anticipating some things out of Apple and it would, uh, you know, it wouldn't be right to sort of do the podcast and then have Apple say something that we're not able to respond to. So we'll be talking uh, tomorrow morning. It will drop around noon. And I believe we have Stuart Sop, founder and CEO of Current, joining us tomorrow. Yeah, we do. And we're going to get the April jobs data guy, the all the all. Important. I love when people say that. Thirty um, a.m. Um, all right, let's talk before we get to Liz. She's got a great uh, note out on the SoFi blog, as she does on Thursdays, um, breaking down what the Fed said. But let's talk about the market reaction um, really quickly here, because it was a bit muted, guy. I know that you were on uh, an airplane during the Fast Money, so you didn't get to watch us. Um, you didn't get to participate either. No. But it was interesting because a couple things. I'll just say this: like my quick take was that Jay Powell did not seem particularly confident. Like he had a whole heck of a lot of visibility, and he didn't seem confident about what was going on with regional banks. And we're going to hit um, all of that. But it was interesting that Jeff Gunlock uh, or Jeffrey Gunlock, excuse me, of Double Line was on with Scott Wapner at three o'clock right after the Fed's presser, and he made that comment right away. Um, and I think we were talking about it in our chat too. And, you know, I'm just surprised that the markets are kind of doing okay right here. The stock market, that is. We got a VIX, though, above 20 for the first time in in a week, a week and a half or so. Maybe that has to do with debt ceiling. Maybe it has to. I don't know. I'm just curious what your quick take was, because I think by all. And uh, here's another one. Steve Leisman from CNBC, you know. Um, he came on fast money. He didn't, he, he made some comments. He didn't think Jay Powell did such a great job. So I'm just curious. You're shocking. Yeah, well, I, I, I know. Um, and so I'm just curious because I think he knows Jay Powell fairly well, always gets a good question in there. Well, listen, I, again, respectfully, I think Jerome Powell's probably a brilliant man. I have never met him and I'm gonna be serious for a second, but he does find himself in an extraordinarily difficult situation. And I think that uncertainty is born from exactly that uncertain. I mean, he's not, um, he sees what's going on. I mean, he has his fact set machine up. He can watch what's going on with these regional banks. And it's clearly a problem. I think the good news for the Federal Reserve, if there is good news, is this is more an equity thing. This is more a stock market thing. It doesn't seem to be, you know, that 0809 leverage systemic type of thing. Now, it can manifest into something, but we're not there yet. So I guess my point is if stocks go lower, if banks are going to go into receivership, I mean, it sucks if you own the equity. But at the end of the day, I don't think it necessarily 
create systemic risk. Now, it's going to create problems down the road, and we've addressed that. But I think they're willing to sort of have that happen because, quite frankly, that's been, I think, the end goal all along. But his uncertainty stems from the fact that there is a lot of uncertainty out there. But to answer your original question as to the market, yeah, I think the market's behaving extraordinarily well. You know, I, if you had told me, again, if you had said you're going to have banks down 50% in the after hours, Qualcomm's going to miss in a pretty significant way. Uh, a couple other things transpire over the last 24 hours and said, you know, the S&P has been 4,100. Where's it going to be? I mean, it's going down 115 S&P handles, you know, easy given the backdrop. And obviously that's not the case. So, yeah, it's held in there pretty well. The VIX is bouncing. Guess it's sort of interesting. To me, the VIX doesn't get interesting until it has sort of a high 20s handle. But here we are. Yeah. Um, you know, there are some parts of the market that don't act well. I don't know if you're looking at um, some of the airlines, some of the resource stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, we're going to talk about the banks in a little bit there. So, um, you know, there, there's some stuff that, you know, pretty economically sensitive, not acting well. Cats down two and a half percent, too. Um, I thought this was interesting. Um, Elon Musk, he's the CEO of, um, I think, five companies, Twitter, Neuralink, uh, Tesla, SpaceX, Boring Company, um, and then a new open AI competitor. So um, he does, he has plenty of time to tweet. Um, but Lawrence Summers, you know, Lawrence Summers, he's a former. Um, Karen you know, knows him well, actually. Yeah. They, they, they vacation together from time. To, I don't know if I'm speaking out of line you here. Probably but, are. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like you yeah. are definitely speaking out of line. Um, so, so Elon responded to a uh, tweet from Lawrence Summers about the federal reserve. Um, and, and basically he says, if the federal reserve does not, uh, do what's necessary to contain inflation, blah, blah, blah. So Elon is tweeting at him, and Elon's been doing this for a bit now. It seems like probably six months or so, um, banging the, the drum about like stopping the rate hikes here. But he's talking about kind of what he sees um, in the economy and uh, not particularly great. This was a couple of days ago. I thought that was just kind of interesting. I think, you know, um, you know, I, I think yeah, there's, no, a lot look, of, yeah, there's a lot of companies like his that are really, you know, getting hurt by yeah. high interest rates but that were benefiting from inflation, well, too. Yeah. I mean, I mean, these are the same company when interest rates were zero. You didn't hear a peep out of these people. You know, yeah. now, by the way, and, and I don't want to go down this road necessarily, but the mistakes the Fed has made, the, the mistakes haven't been over the last six to nine months. The mistakes were made, you know, 15 years ago, longer than that, quite frankly. And they're just trying to they're paying for it all now. And it seems yeah. as though. They're making tremendous missteps, but they really don't have any choice. They have two choices here. They stop and they signal, oh, we're going to pivot and inflation is going to get out of control again. They keep doing what they're doing. The things are going to break, which we're seeing right before our very eyes. I mean, there are no elegant solutions for them. And that's the unfortunate reality. I mean, this is the guy that happens to sit in the seat right now. As I've said a number of times to Shakespeare fans, uneasy is the head that lies a crown. So people feel sorry for the guy. I don't. I mean, yeah. he, you know, he didn't have to take the freaking job. Well, he, he, I mean, he could have waltzed in. You know, he could have been he'd been hitting golf balls right now with with Charlie and, and Warren. Yeah. Charlie, I'll be there in a minute. Sorry, Dan. No, no. And and, and make sure you, you pass that note to him because, um, you know, I, I really would like to get a word with him. Yeah. Um, hey, guy, yeah. here's here's one thing. Here's a guy who's not hitting golf balls. This is uh, David Rosenberg, Rosenberg Research. Rosen. And so he's saying the carefully nuanced language in the Fed uh, press statement is eerily similar to all those others in the past that marked the end of the tightening cycle. OK, if we look at 
CME, the FedWatch tool, where you have the June meeting, we know that it's less than a 25% probability that they raise um, 25 basis points. And some of the, um, you know, so, some of the indicators are suggesting, you know, cuts, uh, greater chance of cuts. And that would only happen. We don't have to go through that if, if we were to see some sort of uh, meaningful, like slowdown in the economy or some other thing that happens in the financial markets. But it's interesting, Guy, that the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, you know, this 330 level. Lower, I think Dan. Yes. Yeah. And, and so it's lower that the, the two year is at three, seven, three or something like that. So when you think about this, I mean, I, I don't think it the pivot won't be a friendly thing. And Liz is going to get into that a little bit here. Um, but, you know, it, it's keep an eye on this 10 year chart, because to us, it really is reflective of future growth. And I think what's gone on in crude oil over the last week, week and a half um, is definitely also reflective of that. And maybe also some of these resource stocks. What's that thing? What What's that when you go to like a carnival where, where the carnies set up like, yeah, you it's know, called the carnival. The, yeah. called carnival, right? And that there's that thing that spins. Yeah, Fer, it's called Ferris, Ferris, Ferris wheel. wheel. Yeah, and named it after uh, Matthew Broderick. But you know, everybody thinks that when you get to the top of the Ferris wheel, then you start going back down. The same way everybody seems to think when you get to the end of the rate hike cycle, they start to cut. But sometimes, and you know, those clever guys, you give them a couple bucks down below. They get to the you get to the top of the first wheel, then they stop the damn thing, and you're up there for a while. And sometimes it breaks, and you're stuck up there for a while. My point is, it ain't gonna come down as fast as they went up. I think, and I've said this for months. If you're waiting for a pivot, one, it's because something really bad happened, which you don't want to be long equities. And two, why would the it said the unemployment rate in this country is three and a half percent? What's so bad out there? Yeah, equities and banks are going down. You know what? It happens. It's unfortunate. I mean, there's absolutely no compelling reason to be lowering rates in this environment, as far as I can see. And if they did, it's because something, again, really catastrophic went down. You know what you just had me with when you get to the bottom, you go back to the top of the. Yeah, that's isn't that the U2 or somebody? Well, I mean, it's U2 covering the Beatles, okay? Um, And and he said, Charles Skelter or something. Charles Manson stole this song from the Beatles. We're stealing it. We're stealing it back. I was going to rattle and hum. Um, It does feel a little helter skelter here all right let's do it guy it's time this is like your favorite no this, come on this is stop easily, easily your favorite it is see, see the shit-eating grin i get on my yeah. face when you even say it's like pavlovian oh and, and listen i i know that your 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 phone probably isn't working because you're out there in nebraska or whatever yeah. but man she wrote a doozy today and i think she had you on the brain that would be ey from SoFi. There, oh there she is oh my goodness Liz Young she's leaning in, in like house. that like that person from the facebook cheryl yeah yeah yeah. Miss Sandberg. Hi, guys. Hi, hey, why? The Super Bowl was yesterday for me. Those Fed that? meetings are always Super Bowls. Oh, is that a Super um, Bowl? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Guy, I've been to Omaha once for work. I don't remember why it was not to see Warren. And I wonder if you had the same experience that I had. Uh, it was windy that day. But yeah. There's a lot of farmland in the great state of Nebraska. And literally the entire downtown smelled like manure. And I know Pardon how much manure smells. The entire downtown smelled like manure. I think it was just like the wind had swept it. it the whole thing smelled like manure. No, you're not that's, having that? That's unfortunate. You know, I have not get that waft of manure. No. But, you know, perhaps as I wait, make my way outside, it'll, it'll come across. You know, you don't really need that necessarily. But I think what typically happens is it's like if you work in a butchery or a meat market. You know, when a patron walks in for the first time, it's like, OMG, it stinks in here. But when you've worked there for a period of time, you sort of get desensitized to the smell. So I might walk out and it smells like shit, but people that live (laughs) out here, it's like, 
another day in paradise. Anyway, right. back to you. Right. And nobody, and, you can know, I tell you something? Nobody had that on their freaking bingo no. card today. So too bad, people. You Sorry. know what else they don't have is the fancy word for cow farts, which is bovine emissions. Wow. <laughs> wow. Anyway. <laughs> um, okay. What do, what do we want to talk about? I think we have entered the part of the program, the Fed program, that is called High and Hold. And my note today was titled, Hold for a Pause. Not applause. Nobody's applauding this. Mm-hmm. Hold for a pause. I know that they did not say for sure they're going to pause. But here's the thing. I have said this about Jerome Powell before. I will continue to say this. The guy does not like surprises. So what he gave us yesterday was no surprise. And he values flexibility over most things, which I think came out yesterday as, I don't know, we could, we could not. We might, we might not. I'm going to wait and see. And almost acted as if this new data-dependent approach was something that they had never said before. So here we are in this period where I think it's going to get pretty interesting. I think it's been interesting, but pretty interesting because now if we're in this high and hold state of mind, the market disagrees with how long they can hold things. And the other funny part about this is that, and I think I said this on uh, Closing Bell yesterday, they can't really say that they're going to cut. So we can ask him over and over and over again whether or not they're going to cut rates this year. He's probably going to continue to say no, because if he said yes, it would signal that they had modeled in a recession. Mm -hmm. He is not going to say that. So we have to always keep that in mind. I would take that answer with a grain of salt. I think it got a little bit too much attention yesterday, frankly, by the media that he said they weren't going to cut. Of course he said they weren't going to cut. The Fed is terrible at telling you when they're going to do stuff. So they might, I, I actually do expect a cut by the end of the year. The other thing I would say is don't rule out the possibility of an emergency cut at some point. If we see days, if we see limit down days in the S&P intra-meeting, we'll get emergency cuts pretty quickly because why would we have a limit down day? We'd have a limit down day because something completely fell apart. And I would not rule that out as a possibility Liz, I, I don't either. think so. I, I really, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you here um, because, you know, I remember going back to 2001 when the Fed started the year with some surprise rate cuts and it just it's incited panic i'm just telling you it incited panic. and i remember you know and and there was a couple of them that spring um in Mm -hmm. in 2021 and you know Mm -hmm. and you just said that the fed and i'm not telling you you're wrong i'm just i'm just giving you my two cents here and you're saying the fed you know doesn't like you to tell they told us very clearly in late 2021 what they were going to do with interest rates and who didn't believe them a lot of investors a lot of you know back Banks and, and financial institutions that hold, held the very, you know, security that would be most affected. So I actually think, you know, and we're not going to get in the credibility thing here. I think that they are going to be there. They will signal when and how they pivot, in my opinion, because but your point about, you know, going in and doing something like to stem sort of systemic sort of, you know, fear or risk or this and that. Look at what these, these regional banks are doing every week. Mm-hmm. There's a different one that comes out trying to, you know, assuage fears and they lose 50% of their equity value. So I think the only play in the feds playbook as it relates to changing the rates is being very clear about what they're going to do from here on out. So, I mean, you and I can continue to have this conversation because we're going to have some time to do it unless something really disastrous happens in the next few weeks. But that's the thing is if something disastrous happens, that's the way that you see that. Right. I don't think they're going to do it 
as a surprise to anybody. It would be yeah. like what happened in March of 2020, where we were intra-meeting, we had four limit down days, and then they had to come out with an emergency cut. I don't think that that's the probability. That's not my base case. But I think that he's going to continue to claim that they're going to hold rates high into 2024. But yeah. some of the estimates that they've given, unemployment rising, some of the things that are already happening, I don't know that they're going to be able to do that. But I would agree with a point that Guy made earlier. There's no way that they're going to cut. If they do it gradually, there's no way they're going to cut as fast as they raised. So that's going to be a much more gradual process. The other thing I would say about this is all of the this time is different talk and, and that we can all have different levels of frustration with that. The long and variable legs that they continue to point to, right, and that we all know occur when monetary policy changes, those long and variable legs are assumed to be about 12 to 18 months in length. Guess where we are? We are finally at 12 to 18 months since they started hiking mm -hmm. rates. So this time may not be different at all. We might actually be right in the midst of what is normal for those long and variable legs to actually kick in and cause problems. The other thing is about the yield curve inversions. That twos tens curve inverted mid to late last summer, the shortest amount of time that it has ever predicted a recession is about six or seven months. We're just at about 10 months now. So still, again, right in that window of when you would see a recession start on average. So I don't think that the timing is that different. It's been frustrating over the period because it seems like it should have been more obvious by now. But also I would point people to the fact that that inversion, that twos tens inversion is under 40 basis points today. So Elizabeth, let's put your note back up and maybe you know, effort this following question because you know Dan asked me about the market and I know you're, you're not as minute to minute as we are, but are you surprised by the resilience? Because I'm looking down again at my fact set machine and the S&P is down 18 handles. I mean, that's relatively tame. Now listen, there's yeah. a day left, I get it, but I mean, relatively tame, given some of the things that we've heard over the last 24 hours. I am surprised, honestly. Uh, you know, I think even pre-market, I was watching today, as we saw headlines roll in last night about new banks having problems, and as we saw the bank index fall like it did, pre-market, the Dow was down less than 100 points. And I, honestly, I don't know where that's coming from. I don't know why it continues to be that way. I am surprised. I'm surprised that volatility has stayed subdued. Uh, I think one of the other risks here is that the muscle memory of 2020 makes us believe that everything happens fast and furious and that it's going to be this big, huge drop or just a couple weeks of real pain and then we continue on. This could be something that is a grind downward for a while, or it could be just little stepwise issues that occur over time. Maybe there is no huge kahuna that comes out and surprises everybody. But, you know, honestly, I think that's probably the worst place to be is if we have a slow grind downward and we just kind of get through the bottom of that range and then we hang out right below the range for a while. I mean, this, again, it feels like purgatory of the worst kind. Hey, let's, um, there's a headline crossing my fact set right here. Microsoft is helping finance AMD's expansion um, into AI. I think this is really interesting. It'd be interesting to see what NVIDIA does on this headline here guys um because you know it seems like this was pretty much the only game in town as people have been thinking about this and you remember nvidia had um its ai day i think about a month ago and people got um pretty excited about that i just think that's an interesting headline all right let's go back to the banks um, i think we have like a, a little um montage if you will or something of of, of some of the regional banks and, and some of the how they're acting here today it was interesting and i, I just want to bring up a point that a friend of mine called me who knows the banks really well i'm not going to kind of 
divulge um, who. And he was just saying that this um, First Horizon, you know, TD broke off this deal to buy them. We see what's going on with PacWest and stuff. And he was like taking a look at First Horizon, thinking about buying some calls. He thinks this bank is in good shape and yada, yada, yada. And it's interesting. I said to him, would you buy the stock here? No, he, he defined his risk and buy the short dated call. So I think that's a really important distinction. But then right across my email box and Again, we we quote Doug Cass a lot. Um, Doug runs Seabreeze Capital, and he's uh, he's forgotten more about financials and bank stocks than than I'll ever know. But he has a note out this morning on Real Money, and you guys should check it out because it's a it's a great read. But he's talking about that two ten inversion, um, Liz, that you just mentioned here, and he's talking about how. The, the fact that it's steepening again is really helping the unrealized uh, losses on bank balance sheets. So go to Real Money and see what he's doing um, in the space. I think you could probably infer a little bit. You might get a sense of some of the banks that he'd want to buy if he was inclined to buy them based on that um, act, right? If we did have that um, re-steepening. But I guess the question I would have is like, and, and I had this for my friend who was talking about buying a regional or at least getting long exposure in a regional. You know, my point, guy, would be if you want to do that, why not just buy one of the major money centers bank? I literally said this to him 25 minutes ago rather than take a flyer on one of these regionals. Because if you are one of those money centers that is going to have improving conditions on that, you know, the, the unrealized losses, the mark to market, it's going to get better for them. And then they're probably going to get the opportunity to pick up some of these banks. You saw how JP Morgan acted after they bought the, the, the carcass, as Mel used that term in our call earlier today, of First Republic. You saw how um, that, what was that other one? Horizons Bank or whatever the hell bought the, the, you know, the bits of the other one. So um, I don't know. Thoughts on that guy? Well, quickly, because I know EY's thoughts as well. My, and I, I don't have it in front of me. My sense is if you're if you're going to the option side of the ledger, Vol's probably blown out to a point yeah, where you better be spot on right. In terms of the equity, though, here's where you want to play these things for a trade. I mean, just look at the intraday moves of some of these banks. You've had banks peak to trough move probably 65 70% intraday both down and up. So, you know, you can have a field day just trading these things to the extent that you have the temerity to dip in. So I don't think now's the time to be playing it through the options. I actually think now's the time to be trading these things. But your point about, you know, why waste your time if you're not of that ilk, just being the bigger money set, that's who's going to wind up winning. I mean, the big banks win yeah. to all of this. Now, win at a cost without question, but win nonetheless. Liz, how do you get more constructive? I know you've been cautious on the banks um, and it's not something that, you know, again, there's a whole, listen, it looks like a bomb went off in some of these, um, you know, life insurers. You, you see what's going on to throw up some of these private equity names. Um, uh, Carlisle is getting killed today. It's down 13%. You see, obviously what's gone on in the regionals, the money centers, I mean, across the board, Wells Fargo is down nearly 4% today. Bank America is down two and a quarter percent. You know, this, this is, this is stuff. I detailed a trade idea in Schwab, but it was trading what 52 or 53 the other no, day. I think I, it was actually trading 53 and a half, 54. Yeah. And that was what's today, Thursday. I think you did that on Monday. Yeah. And now we're pushing towards levels that we last saw when uh, Sarah Eisen did the interview with the CEO, when he talked about um, yeah. he had bought whatever, 50,000 shares of stock or something. So yeah. that worked out extraordinarily quickly. Yeah, it's so I guess my point is, is like there's stuff going on here that I don't know about you guys. I can't explain. So, Liz, what, what would be are there any events out there? Is it something with the yield curve? Is it, um, you know, uh, just a few more regionals to go under? And then it's like, ah, there's not re any real market cap left or something like I'm just curious. What are some things that might um, kind of, you know, you know, make you a bit more constructive on the banks? So a couple things. things. Um, 
usually what takes us into a crisis, and if we if this gets blamed for taking us into a crisis, that is typically the sector that bounces the biggest on the other side. So you do want to think about that, although it feels counterintuitive when you're the most scared. That's usually what you want to think about of when do I buy this? Not yet. This is my opinion. Not yet. Um, I want the yield curve to uninvert first. The other thing that needs to happen, and although this isn't necessarily the center of what's going on anymore, this deposit flight issue, now it's the, the mark-to-market issue. But the other thing that needs to happen is the risk of deposit flight probably needs to come down, whether that's because the government insures all deposits forever anywhere, or because the opposite or the, the other options become less attractive. So right now, what are the other options? The other options are short-term treasuries and money market funds. It's not just been that people are pulling their money out of banks because they are running away from banks in general. They have other good options, right? If I can get 4.5% in a money market fund, why wouldn't I do that? So there's been just natural deposit flight, which happens every time rates rise. That's natural. That is a logical thing, a rational decision for an investor to make. If rates come down as they are right now, if they continue to come down because of recession fears or because of the expectation of a pause or a pivot or whatever the case may be, you see that deposit flight get stemmed for that reason. So some of that needs to be, those nerves need to be quelled, right? We need the deposit flight fear to stop and we probably need the yield curve to uninvert, which would suggest that a rate cut is coming if not closer, right? And it would suggest that we probably have either entered or are very much near a recession. The market typically bottoms after that begins. But reminder, we don't know that it's happening until six months after it has begun. So you have to keep that stuff in mind. I think there's probably more drawdown to come. Uh, but the fact that the banks are already broadly trading below book value, you know, it's something to start thinking about. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, thank you for that color here. Let's hit a couple more things before we get out of here. Guy, you saw Qualcomm miss last night and, you know, my comment on fast money, um, just the guide and, you know, they're talking about handsets and weakness there, um, which can't bode well for Apple. Um, the reports after the close, we're going to do a little preview there in a second. So hold on to your hats there, people. Yeah. But um, Basically, I mean, yes, there's no love loss between Qualcomm and Apple. And you know this better than I, but you know I don't think Apple divulges who their well, they're twenty No, but you're connecting the right dots here. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, they're matter of fact, they're a twenty percent customer. So you know, um, so you, you look and see what's going on there. We had um, Aristo, which was talking earlier in the week. That stock got slammed. It was talking about some weakness from the cloud players and some of their biggest um, customers are Microsoft, Google, Amazon, um, and Meta. And then we also had what AMD had to say about data center. And you put all that together and you say to yourself, okay, um, doesn't sound particularly great environment for, you know, enterprise spending. Now, Apple does not have that exposure to the enterprise, okay? They're a consumer and there's going to be a lot of international and the dollar and all that sort of stuff should be a bit of a tailwind. Applied move in the options market is about 4% for Apple. We, we, we charted it with Carter last week, or excuse me, last night, you know, you look at that downtrend, you see that 35% move off the January lows. You see the thing trading at 28, 29 times earnings. You see where that 200-day moving average is. I detailed yesterday with the stock trading around 167, the at-the-money puts or calls, either one, um, in May 5th expiration, that would be tomorrow's expiry, were about 2% of the stock price. Okay, so you think about that. And I actually bought some when the stock was 
167. I paid about 330 for the 167 puts here. And this is just a one-day trade. I'm not suggesting that anyone should do this. I'm risking what I'm willing to lose. I think there's a one-up, two or three down scenario if they were to guide lower. And I'm a little worried about China. I would be surprised if they're able to put up a big uh, a big guide there, guy. Well, again, this is Carter's. We've had the chart in Apple a number of times, and now people are going to at me saying you're a hater. I'm not. I mean, I again, I'm I'm sort of ambivalent, but it's clear if you look at Apple over the last six years, the stock actually does go down, and when it does, it goes down in a pretty significant way. We've seen 25 to 40 percent peak to trough declines a number of times over that period of time, and I don't know if we're on the precipice of one, but you look at this chart. If you didn't know it was Apple, you'd say we're probably setting up for exactly that, and. I said this yesterday, if there's some new people watching today, I think the one caveat, the one thing that could get the stock back on the horse to the extent that it got off is if 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 their if their services revenue came in sort of north of 21 or 22 percent, which, again, I don't think is going to happen. Uh, but that would, I think, give them people reason to get long the stock in terms of multiple expansion. You know, short of that, I'm not I'm hard pressed to understand what they're going to say that's particularly uh, in, in, bullish in this environment. Yeah, I, I mean, again, you know, it's also the last major name to report. We knew all the excitement about Microsoft. And look at how Microsoft trades. You could say, hey, guys, you get your heads up your asses. Like, look at Microsoft. It's gone just since that report. It gapped up 8% that day. It closed at 275, and it's trading within 1% of a 52-week high. It's just making this consolidation um, right here. I just think they're two very different stories. Um, and, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll see on that one. Um what else, guy? What do we got to do before we get out well, of here? Well, I mean, EY is sticking around. By the way, her Brewers have scored three runs, I think, in the last three games. So it's amazing how the pendulum also swings back the other way. But it's not Brewers time, Dan. Yeah, yeah. It's the yeah. other B. And I want everybody simultaneously to do what we've all grown accustomed to doing. It is time for, get ready for it, hashtag butters, Dan. All right, this would be John Butters. He is the earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. He drops a report every Friday morning that we get a preview of on the Thursday um, market call. And I got to tell you, his data that he tracks on a week-to-week -week basis about valuations, about S&P margins, about S&P earnings growth, about expectations heading in and where they are, it is invaluable during earnings season, no doubt about it. But it's also really important to keep an eye on when we're not in earnings season to see which way analysts are trending with these estimates. So today's report, um, he's talking about international revenue. And we just talked about this with Apple. And we talked about the dollar round tripping this whole move. And I think this is going to be something really interesting because a lot of strategists are calling for further dollar weakness. But you tell me, I mean, if the Fed starts to pivot, that makes some sense in, in, in a way here. Um, so this is going to be interesting. So, so what John's saying in his report tomorrow, S&P 500 companies with more international exposure are reporting lower year-over-year -year earnings than S&P 500 companies with domestic revenue exposure in Q1. Companies with more than 50% international are reporting a decline of earnings of Nearly 12% healthcare and info tech sectors um, are the top drivers of the larger earnings declines for companies with more exposure. Companies with more than 50% domestic exposure reporting earnings growth of 2.9%. So talk to me, Guy, a little bit when you hear that sort of data yeah. here because we know that the dollar is a huge impact on that. Dollar's a big component, no doubt about it. And we talk, we talk about the dollar seemingly almost every market call we do, but Equally important is the fact that as shitty as things are, pardon my French, here in the United States, you can bleep that out. Things are even worse in Europe. I mean, think about 
how bad their inflation problem is when they had to make the decision whether to raise rates or stop because the economy is really ratcheting down. So what you're seeing is, and this makes sense, as bad as things are seemingly are, or let's just put it this way, as quickly as things are slowing here in the United States, things are not exponentially, but close to it worse in these overseas markets where a lot of these companies get their revenue. So yes, the dollar is a component, but don't underestimate the fact that the globe is slowing down probably faster than we are, Dan. Yeah, but it's interesting, Liz. And, and just talk to us a little bit about this because you think that the, the the weaker dollar should be good in that regard here. Is it something about comparisons year over year, like for, for some of these multinationals? How, how do you how do you kind of see this data? I mean, the weaker dollar would be good just in a straightforward way. But I think to Guy's point, if you're relying on consumers actually consuming outside the U.S., that's where the problem is. And if you want a perfect example of what stagflation looks like, Europe is it. We still wonder over here whether or not we're in it or how long we're going to stay in it. We might just do a little pit stop in the stagflation environment. But Europe is sort of stuck and their inflation problem is much higher than ours. Uh, and I, I'm not really sure how that gets fixed without some sort of real recession over there. So if you're relying on the activity of the consumer, also, I would say, you know, China reopening for all the hype it got, it didn't really support global activity as much as I think we expected it to. So there's been a little bit of a disappointment there as well. And we'll see how that shakes out for the rest of the year. But my hopes are not high, especially now that we've had, you know, we obviously have banking stress here, there was clear banking stress in Europe as well. So this is not just a U.S. phenomenon, and this is not something that I think is going to go away overnight. Yeah, and, and Liz, you've made this point. I had Dan Niles of Satori Funds, um, who's, uh, I, I think, a brilliant tech investor who I've known for a very long time on um, OK Computer the other day. You can actually find it on our Risk Reversal Media channel or find it wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but Dan made a really great point about the reopening with China. And, and, and again, you've made this point, is that the Chinese... Yes, they like to spend, but they also like to travel. And so if you've been locked up for three years and you bought all the smartphones and, and cell phone or, you know, and, and computers and this and that, whatever, all these kind of hard goods, if you will, now you're going to be spending like we were, right, when you were out and about restaurants, travel, you know, and the like. So I think that's a, a really good point. And it doesn't really bode well, in my opinion, for consumer spending on tech. And it may not bode uh, well is in for, for other areas that I guess we were hoping they would pick up some of the slack. All right, guy, that's it for us, isn't it? No. Yeah, I think it is. Can I tell you something? This has been fun for me in the embassy suites. If you're, if you're in the neighborhood, <laughs> stop by. Why not? Guy, do you still carry around uh, signed headshots with you when you're out and about? Um, what do you mean still? When did I stop? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. Listen, here's the deal. If uh, if you see Guy Adami at the embassy suites over there in Omaha, Nebraska, just ask for a selfie or something like that. You know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. Why not? Why, why wouldn't you? I mean... You know, I get a lot of EY questions these days too. That's how that's how quickly the, your star has risen in the galaxy of stars. <laughs> you know, you've made it to the Parthenon, as I like to say on CNBC's Fast Money. Please don't at me. But that, Dan, I do think that's it. Now I'll say this, uh, peeps, as you know, I'm still sort of dealing with the Ranger loss earlier this week. That hurt. Uh, the Yankees are struggling. Brewers, as we know, but they'll figure it out. I mean, everybody gets a soft patch. The Bucks, 
My God. And that Giannis interview at the end of the season, good for him, by the way. I really like what he did yes. there. That was great. Yes. But Nick basketball, Dan, uh, you were there the other day. Nick's tied at one. I don't know what they're playing the next game in like June or something. I'm not sure why they have to wait so long, but this Saturday in Miami, uh, if you're there, you should check that out. A lot of things going on. Butters stud. Uh, now, remember, what's that little icon thing that people hit all the time when they're trying to refresh the like their, button? The browser. Oh, refresh. The refresh. That's what they the call refresh it. Refresh. Button. Yeah. Now you're going to be inclined for you on the tape listeners to hit that many, many times tomorrow morning because you forgot what I just said. We're dropping it a bit late tomorrow, given all that's going to transpire over the next, you know, 18 or so hours. So just be on the lookout for it a little later than you typically get it. Number one. Number two, tell a friend about our YouTube channel. Smash the shit out of the like button, but make sure you subscribe. I want to thank EY from SoFi for joining us always. Always want to thank the people behind the scenes. That's, of course, Amanda, Stephen, and Jacob. I want to thank the audience. We wouldn't be here without you. Dan Nathan, always bringing the freaking goods. I want to thank our sponsors, SoFi. Get your money right all in one app. Uh, FactSet, financial data and analytics, powered by tomorrow. In a few minutes, I'm going to be powered by a speech I'm about to give where it's going to be fun, people. I'm just telling you. So, again, if you're in the area, stop by. Check it out. Horse manure notwithstanding. <laughs> we'll see you on Monday. Thanks, Later, Liz. folks. <laughs>